Hi, everybody. I'm Gus Johnson along with the governor. He says he got all his jeans from his mom. From his mom. A lot of nylon. A lot of excitement in the air. Yes. And we're ready for college basketball. College basketball. Oh, oh. Gus. Oh, he's got onions. Gus. He's got onions. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week 10 of the Big East Barroom. I am your co-host, Tyler Cassidy, joined by Ryan. Ryan, coming from a satellite location from a team he is scouting to be joining the Big East. Ryan, how are you? We are on location for this one. Super secret. Um, Vermont. Vermont. <laughs> but we're still watching college basketball. And all. That's all that matters. Uh, snowy like crazy up here, though. I didn't tell you this, but we almost got in a car accident today because we, the snowstorm came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere? Didn't the weather, like, tell you it was going to come? Oh, no, they didn't know. They actually give you an alert on your phone, and it got to, like, blizzard conditions. You couldn't even see the road. Wow, great. I'm glad to hear now. And, uh, Mom, if you're listening, that Ryan survived the car crash. He's alive. He's well. We had a fun week of college basketball. Big East is in full swing. And uh, plenty to talk about. I mean... This that we're back in conference season. Kids are back on campus soon. This is, I mean, one of the best times of the year. For I know we say that a lot for college basketball, but anytime you're getting to watch this much, hey Ryan, the good news is every single game this week that we're going to talk about, a Big East team won. Think about that. Uh, you've used that line before, and it wasn't good the first time. So it's an just- evergreen tweet because people see it and they go, yeah. You're right. That is true. And then people are like, oh, wait, that's pretty dumb because that means every game the biggest lost this week. And that's the reaction you're going for on Twitter is people going, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm if you could do a little yeah and a little thumb on that heart, like that'd be great. Right. I just wanted to update the fans. We are neck and neck with the podcast um, for rating and subscribing. So if you guys can just please again, and I'm I will advocate for this. Take your mom's phone. Take your dad's phone. Log in. Ignore any text from anybody else. Hit the subscribe button on Spotify. And um, if we win this, I will guarantee that Ryan is willing to jump into a pool of cold water if we win. Yeah, see, the thing about me is I hate cold water. So yeah. it can't happen, unfortunately. But well, Tyler, that's how you know. Okay. Tyler's a big cold water guy, and he's jumping in. Always have been. Tyler, what order are we going in today? Ryan, you have um decided that we are going in the order of – because in honor of the NFL playoffs, which if you're a Cowboy fan, I'm sorry, please stay away from any tall bridges. Um, we are going to go from teams that we think can make the best NFL team or football team um, if there was a Big East. Yeah, we're not suggesting they could compete in the NFL. Just no. which team would make the best NFL squad? Um, there are certain players that I think could compete in the NFL. That's a hot take. I don't agree with that. Um, you also don't think I could win five games in the NFL. You couldn't. I'm going to... I'm going to take first pick here because – Oh, no. Wait, no, 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 no. no. So we're going to put three minutes on the clock, and we are going to start with the hottest team in the country, your Seton Hall Pirates, who would make a fantastic football squad because they are mean, they're tough, they're physical, and they will run it down your throat. But they also had a hell of a week this week. I really don't like that Ryan has decided that what we were going to go in the order and then just takes the first pick as well. 
Um, not in the spirit of the sport, but Seton Hall with Dylan Adeyawusu, um, Kadari Richmond, who I have playing quarterback, Dre Davis, who I have playing wide receiver, and then a little Jaden Biaku as a tight end. They win two games this week. They beat Georgetown. They survived Georgetown Roulette 74 to 70. And then they win against Butler at Butler 78-72. Um, I don't think any conversation can begin without talking about Kadari Richmond. Big East player of the year if the season ended today. Devin Carter or Kadari Richmond competing for it. You might say because of team success, Kadari Richmond has a better chance. I still think Devin Carter is more impactful for his team. Yeah, in terms of straight up individual success or, or performance, I understand what you're saying about Devin Carter, but the committee never gives Big East player of the year to somebody, a team that finishes bottom four or five of the conference. Looks like that's where Providence is going to be after losing Bryce Hopkins. So um, on that grounds, I think Kadari gets the tiebreaker, and he is – I can't think of anybody who is more deserving of Big East player of the year right now. I mean, yeah, absolutely. This kid, I believe, averages 25 points a game this week. Um, he is – he averaged 22 points, 10 rebounds, and six and a half assists this week. He's one of the best players in the sport. His ability to get downhill at any given time is incredible. Um, they know – and, you know, going down the stretch that – Give the ball to Kadari Richmond and see what happens. Oh, right. I ended a Butler game. It's yeah. just a clear out. They didn't even run a, a screen for him. He just takes Jamil Telfer off the bounce and hits the layup. I mean, that's big time. That's clutch. That's unstoppable. And he deserves a ton of credit because he wasn't getting that credit before the season. He was left off of all preseason, all Big East awards, which in hindsight was not bright. Um, the game against Butler, I think, is the game that if we're going to talk about anything, a um, few things that I noticed about that game and maybe seeing Hall fans, Alamir Dawes shot really well from the field, and I thought he did a really good job of not forcing, which is sometimes the negative to talk about him, where if they're take, I think if Seton Hall takes their shots, they might be one of the better teams in the conference. I also think that Seton Hall does really good with a Big East whistle. Um, where it's a little more lenient a lot of the time, and therefore Seton Hall was able to. Kadari pushed off, I think, twice at the end of that game. Um, gets away with it, gets a, gets a win. Thought, wait, you thought that was a push-off? Oh, by Kadari? Absolutely. I didn't think it was a push-off. Well, when he goes like this and throws his left arm into the guy, I, I feel like that's a push-off. For those listening to the podcast, um, Tyler's extending his arm there. I don't believe he got full extension on the arm, though. I think... Uh, you know, there was some contact there, and he's allowed to, you know, hit somebody with his unextended arm. And uh, I like the no call there. I don't mind it at all. I don't disagree with your point in general about them, it being beneficial to them, the way Big East games tend to be refereed. Right. Do you think Seton Hall, by the time people are listening to this, is Seton Hall ranked? Yes, they have to be. Do you think they're a top 25 team right now? Oh, absolutely. hundred. They, they're probably a top 20 team. I mean, I, I personally agree with you. It's just hard to jump into that 25. 14 of the top 25 teams in the country lost this week, right? So if Seton Hall doesn't edge somebody out, I think we have to talk about a little bias there. Yeah, I agree. Ty, your pick for the next best football team in a Big East. Right. I'm going to take – I'm going by individual players. And if you watched, I know you didn't get to catch a lot of it because you are away right now. UConn. Um, is playing a very gritty style of basketball that I think would lend itself to football. I want Cam Spencer playing quarterback, and I want Donovan Klingon getting jump balls in the end zone. Um, Tristan Newton also got into it with about three different guys today. Um, so 
it was a very this Georgetown game for some reason swayed me to think that I want to talk about the UConn Huskies next. Yeah, Stephon Castle also a freak athlete could be really good as a def- defensive back, as a wide receiver, as a linebacker. I could see him in, in several different roles, but absolutely could translate that athleticism to football. But more importantly, they go to an Otis week. They beat Xavier at Xavier, and then they take care of business against Georgetown, a game you are at today. Ty, some takeaways from seeing them in person. Anything you noticed that jumped out to you? Um, this was the Georgetown game specifically is the ugliest game I've seen at the Big East this year. Um, and that's someone who watched the entire DePaul and Georgetown game. Um, there was 44 fouls called, 53 free throws in this game. It was uh, very stagnant, no rhythm at all. UConn didn't look great offensively and still scores 80 points. I think Danny Hurley is going to reiterate that they look like a wet napkin on defense. Um, the amount of times that people are just getting downhill. I know we got into the argument last week, right? But I personally think that UConn in the offseason talked a lot about, hey, it's fine if they get past you because we have Donovan Klingon behind. Because the amount of like kind of blow buys that you saw today, they were kind of gambling a little bit, hedging out there. And then if they're getting blown by, they were trying for a late contest, which looks a lot different with Donovan Klingon rather than Samson Johnson. Yeah, I mean, maybe they got a little lazy when they had Donovan Klingon for most of the beginning of the year and uh, had had a little bit of trouble kicking it into gear. Um, one thing, if you guys follow me on Twitter, you know I was really impressed with the way that they handled covering the five position against Xavier. Alex Caravan and Jalen Stewart. Alex Caravan did it for probably about 15 minutes, and then you got about five minutes of Jalen Stewart, but both of them battled, absolutely outweighed. 40, 50, 60 pounds by Abu Usman on Xavier. And uh, they fought. They got a couple baskets scored on them. They weren't perfect. But they didn't give them anything easy, and that was the goal. And that's I think that's a large piece of the narrative of how they were able to get out of Sintas with that win. Right, and I don't want to fight back because I know you didn't get to watch a lot of this game. Supreme Cook absolutely destroyed UConn today. Um, I believe he scored 20 points. He, was, he had a double-double in the first half. So I think... I think what you're saying is right, that they battle really hard. Um, there's not a question about effort for this team, but they are desperately missing Donovan Klingon, and I know they're 5-0 and or 4-0 without him. They need Klingon back. If they want to get to a second weekend, they need Klingon to be at full strength. And he looked pretty healthy before the game today. Did you see him skipping around? His uh, ankle looked like it was in pretty decent shape. So, yeah. dunked, dunked a few times in warm-ups. Um, with a polo on and khakis. Uh, normally, I challenge myself by trying to dunk in a polo and khakis and can't do it. So the fact that Klingon can do it, you know, me and Klingon are pretty similar in terms of athletes. Um, so this is that's a little surprising. Tyler, is UConn ranked number one tomorrow morning? Uh, they're going to rank Purdue number one and then UConn number two, is my opinion. Um, and I think Kansas has more of a point to be number one than UConn does. Oh, Why? What, what do you think? I think they should be number one. You're probably right about predicting what the AP poll voters do because AP poll voters don't watch basketball, don't get me started, but I think they have every right to be ranked. They will move up, though. Houston lost twice this week. Houston was ahead of them. There's no chance that Houston will be ahead of them come um, tomorrow or whenever you're listening to this podcast. All right, that moves us to our next best football team, and I'm going with a team that went one and one this week. 
a team that's a a favorite of some of the people on the Big East Barroom podcast. That would be Rick Pitino, St. John's Johnny's. First off, Joel Soriano, if you put him as a defensive end, I mean, the dude's a freak. He's a beast, and he's a he'd be a pass, pass rushing nightmare. They got a lot of depth. Jordan Dingle um, and uh, Dennis Jenkins both look like maybe they'd be able to play some quarterback. So, anyhow, but they go one and one. They beat Providence at home, and then they go on the road and lose to Creighton in what was one of the better games of the Big East season, in my humble opinion. Yeah, they they beat um they beat Providence seventy five seventy three, lost to Creighton sixty six sixty five. So they're plus one in a week of basketball, which is wild. Uh, right. People have hate listened to me to talk about St. John's. That's what I call it. It's um, St. John's did a lot to win me over this week. Um, this team is gelling at the right time. I feel like they know who they are right now. Brady Dunlap's emergence. Naima Lean, I feel like, has been a difference maker. Um, listen, that Creighton game, if it's played in 49 other states, maybe goes a different way. I'm not I, – first of all, that dingle – what side are you on for that ride? Dingle, Dingle gets fouled there, but there, no one's calling that. Like I like I, the I no call. I'm saying, but nobody's calling that. No, I like the no call. You hate to see the refs decide the game in that situation. Dingle had the chance to make the shot, um, and I, I I get it. St. John's fans will sit there and say, if it's a call for the first 39 minutes and 59 seconds, it's a call in the last second. I understand, but at the same time, nobody shows up to these games to watch the refs decide the. Uh, you know, and let him shoot free throws with zero seconds on the clock to decide how the game. And realistically, Dennis Jenkins gets a perfect pick and roll there. He hits a wide open shot from the elbow that he hits 80% of the time. And he missed it. Um, St. John's missed a few shots down the stretch that, you know, if if they're going to, you know, win those games, they need to do it. Um, I, I think that St. John's has shown me that they are an NCAA tournament team. I think St. John's has shown me they are a top five team in the conference. Um, talent wise, listen, um, how far will that talent take them? I have no idea, but night in and night out, they are going to compete so well that they are going to automatically get some wins just by their competition levels. I'm very impressed by that. Um, do you want to talk about any schemes? Well, I just want to say one guy that always impresses me for how he attacks the backboard is Chris Ledlow. Kid rebounds like his life depends on it. I mean, he's big, he's physical, and he wants every rebound. I love watching him go after it. Dennis Jenkins was fantastic in the Creighton game to the point where Creighton started trapping Jenkins um, coming off the pick and roll so that he wouldn't be able to take shots and pretty much give him wide open shots. Jordan Dingle had a wide open shot from the top of the key uh, that he missed because of that scheme. But Yeah, I mean, Dennis Jenkins was really, really good in the Providence game too. Um, he didn't shoot very well in the Creighton game. This team, this team has shown me. I, I still, I know it's a weird thing that we have. I want to see them commit to their eight guys and give them the. That's what we're going to give them. But with a pressing defense like they've done, it lends itself to foul trouble and exhaustion. So therefore, you might need to do that. I personally think that Rick Pitino, Hall of Famer, which you've reminded me of many times will be able to get their conditioning levels where you can run it about eight or nine deep, which is, I guess, ideal what you want to do, I think, in the Big East. One thing I love about Rick Pitino, and we're out of time here, but I just want to say quickly, I love about Rick Pitino is that he values the practice so much, and and we have seen so many different starters this year because he'll say they had a really nice week of practice, they earned their starting spot. I think that creates a sense of urgency in practice, 
And when you practice really hard, this is, I mean, Dan Hurley took this to a national championship. When you practice really hard, you play really well in games. Um, so I think that's why you see some of him going into depth uh, a lot. You know, Brady Dunlap had almost fallen out of the lineup and then um, has now started a couple games for him. All right. Uh, if I am going to pick a team that I think is going to possibly be good at football, I'm going to take the team that would be the low light of the week. And I'm going to take Providence. Um, I think Devin Carter changes a lot. Jaden Pierre is a running back. Really get him in there. Ticket Gaines is kind of your number one wide receiver. Josh Dorr is a tight end. Like I, I kind of like the way that that team looks. Um, and Devin Carter kind of as a run first quarterback just absolutely dominating um but right they they go into this week they lose 73 to 75 to st john's on a missed and on an air ball by Jaden pierre down the stretch and then they lost to x 85 to 65 at the amp uh worst case scenario of a week oh yeah i mean it's as bad i mean think about where they were about two three weeks ago when you opened biggie's play and they beat marquette at home back when marquette looked like you know, one of the five best teams in the country, and then they went and beat Butler at home in overtime. Um, you know, we thought that they were a top 20 team in the country, and after the Bryce Hopkins injury, it's just – it's been really tough to watch. It's been really uh, not a lot of fun. Devin Carter did his best Superman impression in that St. John's game, goes for 30-something points, and, and was incredible, but there just wasn't enough help. And, uh, you know, I think – I think that they belong in the same group of Xavier where injuries kind of derailed their season. And it's not fair to judge anything at this point because of, you know, those injuries that occurred. You you say they belong in the same breath and I'm not discounting the Bryce Hopkins injury at all. They lost it by 20 to Xavier. The team that has also got their season derailed by injury. They lost by 20. This team needs to figure it out. If they have any chance, they could still go dancing. Like they are probably, if the season ended right now, they might be a tournament team. Devin Carter can't be Superman every single night. Nobody in the country is doing more offensively and defensively for their team than Devin Carter. Devin Carter is responsible for guarding the most important player every night for the other team. And he's responsible for having to be the leading scorer every night for his team. He almost willed them to a win against St. John's. And, you know, he scored, I mean, he didn't shoot very efficiently, but he scores 18 points on six of 17 shooting, seven rebounds against, Xavier, this kid's putting himself in conversation. I don't know if you saw 247's most recent NBA draft um, that had him going number 12 overall, which I think is the most optimistic I've ever seen for Devin Carter. But um, he needs some help. Even freaking Batman has a Robin. And Devin Carter right now is Batman, Robin, and freaking Blackwood, or um, the Catwoman. It's an interesting piece you bring up about the NBA draft. Uh, you know, I, I'm not an expert on NBA draft. There's people who, you know, spend all of their time just figuring out NBA draft stuff. But from what I've read, a lot of people are talking about how thin it is this year, the draft, how there's not a lot of really high-level prospects. So a lot of people who are um, projected as role players in the NBA are getting a lot more attention and maybe taken earlier. You can absolutely see Devin Carter as a role player in the NBA. He will never cheat you on effort, Right. Well, what do you need in the NBA? You need to be able to shoot and play defense. What does Devin Carter prove this year that he can do? He can shoot and play defense. The kids come from an NBA father. He comes from an NBA head coach. Yeah, I mean, draft Devin Carter. Nobody in the Big East, in my opinion, 
has helped their draft stock more by coming back to college more than Devin Carter. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the silver lining for Providence, and they should all enjoy it because they won't get to see it again next year. But Devin Carter will go down as one of the better friars in recent history. I'm not giving up on their season totally yet. Um, I'm pretty down right now on them because I think Providence fans also feel that. You need to defend the amp, though. I'll say that. You're not going to win a lot of games on the road. That just is the way the Big East is. You cannot get 20-piece by Xavier at home with Xavier being 9-8 this year. I don't care what the metrics say. You can't be 20-piece by them. It just isn't like Xavier. It, Xavier's season is also derailed by injuries. Don't tell me that talent-wise Xavier's 20 points better right now. All right. That leaves my pick for the next football team. And I'm going to go with uh, Villanova Wildcats, who I think we actually probably should have taken earlier. They are long. They're athletic. They're old. Eric Dixon would make a very good lineman on one side or the other. I'm not sure exactly where I would want to play him. Justin Moore has quarterback written all over him. I don't. I, I think that that's a good pick there. But Ryan, congratulating your own pick. Fair. You don't want to know this week. They survived DePaul Roulette. They did more than survive DePaul Roulette. They blew out DePaul Roulette. Um, they didn't look like they were playing the same sport at times. Brendan Hawson's a flamethrower. I would like to see him take 15 shots a game. Uh, any big takeaways you're taking from uh, this week for Villanova? Handle business. This is a Villanova team that needs to handle business. They need to beat Georgetown twice. They need to beat DePaul twice. They probably need to beat you know Xavier a few times. This is that type of team. When you get from your starting five, 14, 24, 15, and 10, that'll do it. Justin Moore makes his return this weekend. Um, DePaul is not a Big East caliber team right now, so it is important to take it all with a grain of salt. My, I mean, my main takeaway is it's everything is a get right game for Villanova right now. Like, where do you project them going forward based off what we saw from them this week? Do you think they're one of the three best teams in the conference? Do you think they are middle of the pack? Do you think they are a tournament team? And they may make it based on the resume they've accumulated, but do you think they'll play like a tournament team the rest of the year? I, I have no idea. Villanova to me is the most unpredictable team in the Big East. I know what I'm going to get from 10 other teams pretty much. Villanova might be the best team in the conference. Villanova might be the second worst team in the conference. I have no idea. We talked about this um, with Tommy the other day that, you know, and you brought this up. Villanova might be the worst offense in the league other than DePaul. Um, metrics wise, you know, but are, or are they the team that just scored 94 points and shoots 56% shooting? You're not going to get to play DePaul every night, though. Yeah, exactly. And they couldn't guard Eric Dixon. So they're running the ball through Eric Dixon. And if you can't guard him, you have to help. And then Eric Dixon's going to find guys who are open. And it's going to it's gonna make the entire offense look beautiful. If you have a guy who can guard Eric Dixon, none of that occurs. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying about it. So much of it's unknown. You don't learn anything material from playing DePaul, so. It's just don't lose to DePaul. It's what it's the, my issue, and we'll talk about it when we get to DePaul. But it's my issue with DePaul being in the conference right now because you're just sitting there and going, this like even today with UConn and Georgetown, and I get it, Georgetown is probably tenth best team in the country. You get to see something from your team. You get to like have some takeaways. You get no takeaaways when you freaking play DePaul. You win by 30 points. They're at Marquette tomorrow. 
Martin Luther King. If you pull off a win, then you're saying they're back, right? No, I, I, I can't say Villanova's back until I see four games in a row of, you know, they play Marquette, but then they play UConn later the week. Are you telling me they can't? They could go one and one this week, and I wouldn't be surprised if they beat UConn or they beat Marquette. Yeah, but they don't have to win both for you to beat. No, they don't. But, right, they could beat Marquette by 30 points and lose to UConn by 30 points or vice versa. And neither one would surprise me with this team. This team is that, like, shaky or that not inconsistent. Yeah, it's been a little while since we've seen them uh, look really bad. I mean, Ty, listen, they're one, two, three, four. They're five and one in the last six games. They lost to St. John's at home. But St. John's isn't looking like a very bad loss right now, and they were competitive in that game. Yeah, and they beat Creighton on the road. So, I mean, let's you're right. Let's walk it back. I just have such high hopes for this Villanova team. I thought they might be the third-best team in the conference. That seeing them, those missteps they took in non-con has really kind of thrown me off. Right. I want to talk about my next team, which I don't think you would, would normally think, but I'm going to talk about the Marquette Golden Eagles. Because I think Tyler Kolick at quarterback and Stevie Mitchell at running back is elite. Um, you meant Sean Jones at running back? Sean Jones has one ACL right now, and I still think he might be a better running back than I am. I think he might be the fastest person in the conference with one ACL. Marquette lost this week 60, um, 69-62 to the Butler Bulldogs, which you can think of this two ways. Did they just give Butler – and help the conference with the Butler signature win of the year? Or is Marquette in real trouble? I'm going to lean Marquette's in real trouble. Yeah, I got to agree with you. And so much of it right now is coming down to a very, very simple thing in basketball. It's called hitting shots. They ranked like one of the worst rankings you've ever seen in your life for unguarded spot-up threes. Um, yeah, I saw uh, Secret Marquette posted that or uh, Paint Touches. I think it was through Paint Touches, who's a great guy and everybody should follow. Um, but, you know, they had a lot of open threes in that game. Butler was not playing particularly good defense. Butler never plays particularly good defense. Um, they're just not hitting their shots, and that's something we've seen repeatedly now. They did the same thing to Seton Hall. And uh, what was the game prior to that that they had lost? This year? Yeah, I they're missing some shooting right now, and it's – Here's my frustration. You can say this is a blip on the radar or whatever. Your two best players coming off the bench coming in this year are out for a con- the considerable future. Sean Jones is done for the year. Um, hope he gets better because he is elite to watch. Um, and Chase Ross isn't being reevaluated to the end of the month. Tyler Kolick – right, we love Tyler Kolick. One of our favorite players in the league. Do you know what he shot in that game against Butler? What did he shoot? One of 13. Oh, of seven from three. This guy is the straw that stirs the drink. He is everything for that team. And if he is not elite, elite, elite right now, they cannot win a game. Where last year he could have an off day and they would win. Yeah, this year, you know, the entire team is built off having an elite offense. Because they're not big, they're not strong, they're not physical. Um, yes, they can heat you up defensively and they can cause turnovers and they can get deflections. But in terms of a half-court defensive set, they're just not going to win games that way. The entire way you build this team is to be really good offensively. Specifically with Tyler Kolick in the pick and roll with Osu Iguodaro. And you spread it and then you let Cam Jones run the pick and roll and Tyler Kolick spreads. 
uh, in those situations, when the offense isn't elite for this Golden Eagles squad, they look positively pedestrian, in my humble opinion. And I think that one of the things is, like, this offense kind of looks similar to it did last year. It's very free-flowing. So when you said at the beginning they just need to hit shots, yeah. Like, the way that they bring the ball up the court and, like, some of their action and getting wide-open shots, I'm like, yeah, that looks right. And then they're missing they're missing a ton of shots. Cam Jones shot pretty poorly in this game as well. Um, nine of 22, one of 10 from three from Cam. I mean, you're just – you need – Last year, it felt like anybody could have an off night and you would win. This year, if one of the main guys has an off night, you have no chance. It also hurts to lose Chase Ross in all of this because he is a decent three-point shooter. He's not always the best, but he'll have games where, you know, he can start knocking a few down and then maybe you look to him a little bit more than you usually would. But, I don't. I mean, it's not panic time for Marquette, but it's... Oh, yeah, it's no, it's, it's panic time. You don't have your two best players off the bench, and you already, your starting five isn't giving what you need. Yeah, it's panic time. I, Marquette's I think it's not... Reconsideration of their ceiling time. Okay, what... They are a tournament team pretty much no matter what, right? So, but we're, we're talking about them, like, losing out on a top four seed if they don't figure it out soon. Like, yeah. that's like a massive deal... You don't want to go into a tournament as a five or a six seed. Five and six seeds don't win the tournament. All right. Let's move over to our next pick. And I'm going to go with the Bulldogs here. Because I think I, this was a miss for us. I'm sorry? I think this was a miss for us because if you have Pierre Brooks on your team and Jamil Telfort, I think that that's a really good football team. So I think yeah, Those we two guys are our football players. They are built like football players. Plus, Posh Alexander as a tailback. Or in a cornerback? Are you kidding me? Well, he's not jumping with anyone, but Pasha Alexander is going to absolutely out physical you on the line. You're not even getting off the line. All right, let's put three minutes on the clock. Let's talk some Butler Bulldogs. And it was a very high high, and then it was a, a medium low low. They beat Marquette at Marquette to snap Marquette's home victory, consecutive streak, whatever you call it. One of the games of. They lose at home at Hinkle to Seton Hall because Kadari Richmond cannot be stopped. Um, major takeaways? Do you want a hot take or do you want to and have a conversation? That's why Hinkle, we're on the pod. Hinkle is not intimidating anyone anymore. People don't go to Hinkle and they go and they find a way to lose. People go to Hinkle right now and they find a way to win. The UConn Huskies, Butler played really well against UConn. At Hinkle, lost. Butler played meh against Seton Hall at home and lost. Hinkle needs to tur- turn into the advantage that the legends say that it used to be. I Nobody should be going to Hinkle and feeling as comfortable as some of these teams are. But are you calling out the Hinkle crowd or are you calling out the, the play of the players when they're at home? Well, chicken or egg. Like, do you play better when your team, when your um, crowd is really into it? Or does your crowd have to be really into it for you to play really well? Hinkle seemed to be rocking at the UConn game. I can't speak to the Seton Hall game. Seton Hall is not always the biggest draw. But uh, from what I saw on TV and from everybody who was at the game, apparently Hinkle was rocking for the UConn game. Let's also remember that college, once you get into the real world, if you're a college kid, your schedule in college always throws us off a little bit. So we forget sometimes that students not being on campus really affects Crowds. We just saw it at the amp. The amp was just dead. Um, yeah, they got 20 piece by Xavier, but the amp was dead. I went to XL today. That was dead too. 
um, in terms of fans, uh, in terms of student sections. So maybe it'll pick back up. But when Butler needs to keep winning games in order to, you know, no moral victories, kind of the Quincy Oliveri line, no moral victories anymore, they continue to drop games that they need to win that are very winnable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why the Marquette game was such a big deal when they got in the middle of the week. It's like they finally got that freaking win where they've been so close to all these wins. That win is huge. That win's very important. You're still one in four in Big East play right now. And they're not going to put you in the tournament if you finish. I don't know. Somebody do the math out. Um, you know, five and, and 15 in Big East play. Like, that's just not going to be good enough. Of course, they haven't played DePaul or Georgetown yet. So hopefully they grab four wins there and then they can figure it out. Um, they did something really interesting on Kadari Richmond since I have 15 seconds here. They put Jamil Telfort on him. Did you see this? Um, no, I did not pay attention to the matchup there. They, uh, they switched one through four, so it was easy to get him off of him. But when he was bringing the ball to the court, they put Jamil Telfort on their point guard, on uh, seeing all his point guard. And, let, and he wasn't terrible in that position. I really like Telfort defensively. He doesn't jump off the page, but he's very versatile and he can he can guard one through five. Right. The only other thing I want, I know we're, we're a little over time or whatever, but Butler's defense, there are so many real questions about that. I'm not 100% sure how you fix that, especially without, you know, your backup unit, I don't think is that great defensively either. So do you, do you have any suggestions? Do you, if Thad Mata is listening right now, he's one of our listeners, he's subscribing and he says, Ryan Cassidy, I need to figure out what Butler needs to do to play defense. What are you saying? Well, first off, he's not. Second off, he's he's much smarter than me. But they play this shell defense for round one. They switch, you know, one through four so that, you know, they're they're never getting out of position out there. But what you saw in the Seton Hall game was just they repeatedly they would overhelp and not recover. Um, not enough communication defensively. Guys pointing at the open guy, but nobody closing out on him. It's just not sticking with your assignment. I wonder if all the switching one through four is too much for guys who have only been in the program for one year. I don't know. That's a tough question to throw my way, Tech. That I that I think you're that good of a defensive mind? Wow, sorry. It won't happen again. You're picked for a football team. Right. I have a lot of points that I want to make with this team. I'm not 100% how good they would be as a football team, but I'm just going to go with them, and I'm going to go to the Xavier Musketeers. Um, mainly because I will believe blindly in whatever Quincy Oliveri does. Um, and number two, I believe that um, Usman is an NFL or a football player because in football, you can have as many personal fouls as you want uh, before getting ejected. And Usman is a different kind of person. That's an interesting way to put Oliveri as like a slot receiver. Like, Long arms, good hands. He, you know, he's not the f- fastest guy you're ever going to see, but I think he could really dominate in that slot. Um, Pause. <laughs> <laughs> right, I want to lead this a little bit. UConn, they lose 75 to 80, and then they win 85-65. Right, I want to – I'm going to direct you in the way that I want this conversation to go. Right, what does Xavier have more than pretty much any team in the Big East right now? What positions are they really deep at? Front court. Front court. They have really good guards, right? Right. What do guards um, normally what? I would say front court as in they have a lot of European men oh. um, showing up and playing basketball for them. 
backcourt. They have really good guards, right? Desmond Claude, Davian McKnight, and Quincy Oliveri. They're really good in the Big East, correct? Do you yes. agree with that? Yes. What do guards normally do really well? Distribute. Distribute. And normally guards are faster than big men, right? Push the ball. Ryan, right now, Xavier is 76th in tempo in the country. Watching that Providence game, every single time you get the ball, Davion McKnight, Quincy Oliveri, and Desmond Claude should be absolutely streaking up the field. Field. Here we go. We're talking about football. This team, if they push the ball more, I think would be so much better efficiently because what is Xavier also lacking in? They don't put the ball in the hole well, right? Half-court scoring, yeah. Yes. What are they – What? and it's much easier to score on the fast break, right? If I was Sean Miller – I would institute that we are pushing the ball every single time that we touch the ball. You know, it's really interesting you say that because I just was, um, I wrote a tweet a little bit ago. Um, Sean Miller said in an article last year, an in-depth article about him, that he has really changed his entire offensive philosophy. He believes the future of basketball is not running these elaborate set plays, but just attacking um, with some really basic principles, kind of off of Gonzaga, and what those principles always stress is to attack in transition because attacking a non-set defense is about three times easier than attacking a set defense. And so if you ever have the opportunity to get a shot off before the defense is set, you should always take it. Uh, they are the number one team in the Big East in terms of tempo, which says something about how slow we play in general. But I don't hate your point that they should just continue to play fast. I would argue that maybe their five best players – because we need to talk about Trey Green for a half second because he scored 23 points against Providence. And Dalen Swain, these are athletes. Let these guys run. Because I think in transition, this team could be really elite. They're not great in half-court offense. They're not great at shooting. Go and run. Let them be athletes and see how much you can get you know, from that team. Because they play pretty good defense. So you can get some – you can get a lot of live ball transition opportunities – and um, while I was watching this game, that is all that stuck out to me. Because every time they ran, something good happened. Trey Green got like, a ton of opportunities off of somebody running and then dishing out to him. Um, Davian McKnight is elite um, in transition. And I think Quincy Oliveri, the best time to shoot a three is in um, transition a lot of the time. And Quincy is one of the best three-point shooters in the country. In transition or? Off of a miss? Off an offensive rebound. Yep. Right. Percent chance Xavier goes dancing. I'm going to say 20. I'm not ruling it out, but those two losses are so tough. So tough to get over those two losses they took. Oakland and Delaware? Come on. Oakland and Delaware are the elite teams in college basketball right now. They're competing for UConn for the number one spot. You know, I must have missed that. All right. That just leaves two teams for football teams. I will not be picking DePaul because why would you ever pick DePaul anything but last in the Big East? So then we'll go to Georgetown Hoyas. Um, not particularly positive about their football abilities, but Supreme Cook is a freak athlete, so he could probably do something on a football field. Dontre Styles is a really good athlete. Jaden Epps is a really good athlete. You know, they, they might have something there. I'm not going to prescribe it at this moment. But more importantly, in terms of basketball, they went 0-2. They lost, help me out. They lost to Seton Hall 74 to 70, and they lost to UConn 80 to 67. Listen, Georgetown showed me something this week. I know that's that's 
no moral victories were in January. Georgetown showed me that they are clearly a class above DePaul. They are going to compete in the Big East every single night um, against teams that are obviously superior to them, obviously supreme to them, and they are going to be able to compete every single night. Um, and they got ball players. You know, Jaden Epps and Dontre Style are, and Supreme Cook are really good basketball players. Um, um, just to leave Jay Heath out of that little list you put together is unacceptable. We will be taking apologies going forward. Jay Heath had some big moments against Seton Hall. They almost knocked off Seton Hall, which, of course, would have been the most college basketball thing ever for Seton Hall to go down to the Hoyas. Uh, couldn't agree more with you about your diagnosis that they are significantly better than DePaul. They look like a real Big East team. I think a lot of that has to be attributed to they have a Big East caliber coach who has done it in the Big East before, who will continue to do it in the Big East. He will never be an embarrassment, okay? Maybe you could argue he's not the best coach in the world. Maybe he's not top three in the conference right now. He will never be an embarrassment in terms of basketball. I know you're going to say something smart. Um, I can read Trilly Donovan's tweets. So I saw Trilly Donovan tweeted something. If you have not, I will not reiterate it. Um, when we're talking about embarrassments, I think that might be an embarrassment. But listen, my question to you has always been, why is the expectation at St. John's different than the expectation at or Georgetown? George, St. John's might have the better legacy coach. Georgetown had more NIL money. We aren't debating that, right? So my confusion is why was Georgetown not expected to compete more? Because they're different kinds of coaches. Rick Pitino is the master of X's and O's, okay? X's and O's play tomorrow. You can make him the coach today, and he gets his X's and O's, and that makes a significant difference. And Cooley is a program builder. He did it at Providence. He did it at Fairfield. And he's going to do it at Georgetown. We've seen nothing to suggest his success will not continue. Um, and he's already rounding this Georgetown team into six. Wait, wait, wait. I mean, Ryan, you know, whatever. But he's won one Big East game, and he lost to Holy Cross. Don't say that we haven't seen anything to suggest that his success won't continue. We've seen everything to suggest that his success won't continue. The guy has been a bad this year on an average Georgetown team. And if you give Rick Patino the same roster, and I hate myself right now, I don't want to kill myself and go jump with frostbite somewhere, but – Rick Patino, we would expect to win with this team. Don't tell me we haven't seen anything to suggest that. That's ridiculous. Okay, first off, Rick Patino could not win with this team. That's a wild overstatement. Rick Patino brought in a bunch of veterans onto his team, and that's why he was able to do so. Uh, Ed Cooley brought in a bunch of guys. You know, Dante Styles is a sophomore. Jay Neps is a sophomore. Ron Brumbo is a freshman. Redshirt freshman. He brought field over freshman. I mean, you're, there's a significant difference there. Who's R.J. Lewis is a sophomore. Um, that you got a ton of players on St. John's who are not experienced. Jordan Dingle was the number two scorer in the country last year. Why couldn't Ed Cooley get a player like Jordan Dingle? He's not looking for Jordan Dingle. He's looking to build the team, build the culture. That's bullshit. He's not looking for the best player? He has three of the top ten recruits in the Big East coming in next year. He's He's already building it. He's already building it. Not both. He has not. When you say there's nothing to suggest he can't build this program, there is everything to suggest that Let, he can't no, build. Hold it. on. Last year, DePaul said, "Thank God for Georgetown." Yeah. And and now Georgetown's not an embarrassment, and we're talking about kicking DePaul out of the freaking Big East. All right, that's what he did in one year. Congratulations, Georgetown is now saying thank God for DePaul. No, they're not. That's all that it is. You said yourself they're in different tiers. They're it's not even close between. Right, the two. Come on. The, do you know what the spread was today for the UConn game? Do you know what the spread was? 
They were 21-point dogs to UConn Huskies. Yeah, they got kept within 13, and we're supposed to freaking clap for Ed Cooley? And they Bullshit. covered. And they covered. Bullshit. Covered. This seems to be so much. If you're a Georgetown Hoya fan, you should absolutely be saying, I don't need pity. We're the Georgetown freaking Hoyas. He doesn't know ball. Anyhow, that leaves one team. Tell you want to bring in DePaul. Um, if I get to Sean Nelson on my football team, he might be a top five pick in an NFL draft for Big East players. So I'll take Deshaun Nelson in terms of my DePaul team. Um, yeah, they lost twice. They lost by 25, 26 to Creighton. And then they lost by 25 to Villanova. So they keep it consistent. They lost by an average of 25 and a half points this week. Right. I mean, we don't need yeah. to do three minutes on them. Um, this was, it, it's terrible. It's embarrassing. Uh, the the clip that I thought was a moment of their week was when they tried to close out on Baylor Shireman in what is Creighton's most common set play. So they must have seen it on tape ahead of time. Um, and the guy fell down and crawled towards Shireman to close out for him. Um, I, th- I think we can have a conversation about DePaul, right? And if you're a big, you know, a Power Six conference, which we are, you're looking for all 11 of your members to be competitive on a night-in and night-out basis. Can you say DePaul is? No. However, my frustration is I can't sit here and say that DePaul is not talented. I think Chico Carter, Deshaun Nelson, Elijah Fisher, Mac, Mac, I'm going to say his name wrong. I'm sorry. Mac, um, Etienne, they have Jeremiah Odin. Like, they have players... That would be like other biggie schools would recruit those kind of players. I want to, I need to see Stubblefield gone. And if, and if Stubblefield isn't the problem, then we need to start talking about the AD. You want to talk about Wayne? Let's talk about Wayne. I'm talking about Wayne. Um, any consideration to some of the calls you hear about uh, potentially relegating DePaul out of the Big East? Listen, I, I want to preface this by saying the Big East would be better if DePaul's good. However, if DePaul cannot pull any of their weight, and this isn't a one-year thing, this isn't a two-year thing, this isn't a stubble field thing, this is a DePaul thing. They have, not, they have the longest, I believe, P6 tournament drought. I think maybe Nebraska's right there with them, but they are very close to being the longest. If they cannot carry their weight in men's college basketball, then we have to have a conversation. Here's where I where I become naive. I know DePaul women are really good at basketball. It does Big East is more than just men's basketball. So where I'm naive is the other sports. I know that their women's basketball team was really good last year with Morrow, but Morrow transferred out of there. So what does DePaul bring to the Big East needs to be a conversation that Val's having. Yeah, I don't think anything you said was wrong, but just to – a little disclaimer, almost never do teams get relegated out of conferences, leaving um, without any choice. So not that it's likely, but it is an interesting conversation. And there's not a lot of interesting conversation about DePaul right now. So who the next head coaches is going to be the next conversation. All right. Those are our first 10 teams. That just leaves our team in a week. Stick around after this brief message to hear us talk about your Creighton Blue Jays. The Big East Bar Room, sponsored by SeatGeek. Use the code B-E-B-R 
at checkout for $20 off your first purchase. Get all of your seats for 2024 through SeatGeek using our code. All right. We have one last team to talk about, which I think would make a pretty good football team with Baylor Shireman being an ex-quarterback. Trey Alexander, Ryan Clockbrenner is a deep threat at all times. We are talking about the Creighton Blue Jays who went 2-0 this week, beating DePaul 84-58 and beating St. John 66-65. Obviously, there is one game to talk about a lot more than the other, so we'll talk about the DePaul game for the whole five minutes. Well, I'd like to just do a quick big picture because this kind of snuck up on me until I took a look. They're on a four-game uh, winning streak right now. They, uh, After beating Providence, DePaul, Georgetown, and now St. John. So there's two quality wins in there. And then obviously knocked off the two uh, bottom of the conference. You know, there were some serious concerns about them for a while, but they looked like they might have rounded into shape a little bit. Ryan Cockburn is playing his best basketball of the season. Baylor Shireman is playing really well. Um you're still not getting the contributions from the bench that you really want. But in general, it's got to be a really stock up couple uh, weeks for Creighton Blue Jays. Yeah, I mean, hey, I agree with you. Um, one of the things I liked, if we're talking a little X's and O's, Stephen Ashworth has been pretty poor shooting the ball. I love that he got eight, eight threes up against um, St. John's. He was catching and shooting like he was like, I'm getting out of this one way or the other. And I really like to see that he shot three of eight against um, St. John's from deep. Right. I think if we're going to talk about the St. John's game, one of the turning moments for me was Baylor Sharman gets a technical foul in that game. He believed he was getting fouled. The score is 52 47 St. John's at that time. For the rest of the game, St. John's went on, or Creighton went on a 19 to 13 run. Yeah, I know that doesn't seem like a big run, but they went from down five with about, I think, six minutes ago to winning by one. This team, I think, in some ways, kind of like Marquette, wants to be punched in the mouth before they come out um, ready to go. And a lot of that comes from their leader, Baylor Shireman, who I think plays better with a chip on his shoulder. And he's really taken on such an important role on this team, whereas last year he was much more of a role player coming to a team that already had an identity, built around Ryan Nemhard, Trey Alexander, Arthur Kaluma, Ryan Clarkbrenner. Now it really feels like this year, down the stretch, he wants the ball in his hands. He made a couple nice plays, drew a couple fouls. Love seeing that kind of alpha mentality from him. Obviously, he did a lot of that at South Dakota State, so I'm sure it comes pretty naturally to him as he's seen the need for it. How about Trey Alexander driving the hole hard at the end of the game, forcing the foul and hitting both of his free throws? Um I thought that was a really ballsy play. Uh, and to get the foul, to force a foul there was giving up his body. And from a guy who shoot, shot three of 14 in that game. So what does Greg McDermott feel about Trey Alexander? No matter what the shooting statistics are in the game, he says, Trey Alexander's my closer. This is where I'm going. Um, if you're a St. John's fan and you're still listening, thank you. Um, you definitely don't want to talk about whistles. So, um, yeah, I think Trey did get fouled there. However, I know that that's a sensitive subject, um, right? I do. I I want to put a little water on our fire here. Um, I'm very, and I know this is your guy, so I'm sorry. I'm very concerned about Ryan Cockburner's ability to rebound against the Big East. Um, against the Big East. Yeah, I don't care that he had nine rebounds. He had so many more opportunities than that. This wasn't a question of that. The only one I took notes during this game because that is now what I'm doing to remember everything. 
Joel Soriano absolutely was able to tap out and do whatever he wanted in this game, um, rebound-wise. And Chris Ledlum was there, too. Fine. It's not a Ryan Clockbender problem. It's a problem with the entire team. They, you know, they get out-rebounded by St. John's by one. But they get out rebounded by St. John's. St. John's is the best rebounding team in the in the conference. The one of the best rebounding teams in the country. Chris Ledlam and Joel Soriano are two of the best rebounders, individual rebounders in the country. You don't believe it's a nitpick. You don't believe that Creighton has a rebounding problem. No, they're not. They're not Marquette. They're not Butler, who have serious rebounding problems. Do I think Creighton's elite at rebounding? No, they're not an elite rebounding team. But they're they're solid. They went up against the best rebounding team in the conference, and they got out rebounded by one. Like, yeah, we'll take that. Right? How tall are you? Six even. Eh, that uh, kind of a stretch. Five eleven girls. Six even. Fine. How tall is Ryan Cockburn? Seven two. Right. How many rebounds a game do you think you could average in college basketball? Maybe two. Oh, I'm getting your five rebounds easy. Wait, if you're getting five rebounds a game and you're six even, five eleven girls. And Ryan Cockburn is only averaging seven rebounds per game. And is their main rebounder, other than Baylor Shireman, who's a very good rebounder at his position, but against other size, I have serious concerns about Creighton's ability to hang on the paint. That's where my concern comes from. I do think, though, Joel Soriano is the worst matchup in the conference for Ryan Cockbrenner, and Ryan Cockbrenner is the worst matchup in the conference for Joel Soriano. (laughs) And Ryan Carpenter had four blocks in this game. He didn't always get the best of Joel Soriano in the paint on the block, but he was, again, I mean, he's the best pick-and-roll defender in the country. I'm a broken record. Um, And he made his presence felt. He had a big block down the stretch. I think he's playing his best basketball of the season. But this this team, more than any other team in the conference, is what do my three stars, where are they going to take me? There is no depth. There is zero depth, and we've seen, you know, um, our our friend there, Chris Boyd, always points out, like, you know, Greg McDermott doesn't like to play his bench. And he's right. This is a common problem. We've seen it going back years. Um, he likes to play a very short rotation. But it's a tough ask for those three guys, night in and night out, to win you every ballgame. I will say, if we're going to talk about bench, Farabello had a huge steal and layup down the stretch of this game. He played 22 minutes. Now, those were the only points that Francis uh, Farabello scored in this game. So I don't want to say that he played well, but, you know, I do like the minutes that Farabella gives you. Um, Red King and Trout have shown it in spurts. Like, yeah, I think I think that this whole team is just lacking, like, one player. And I'm not going to say it's Arthur Kaluma because you know how I feel about Arthur Kaluma. I feel worse about Arthur Kaluma than I do Rick Pitino. However, they are lacking a true four who can consistently help on the boards and um, score. So if you want to say that's Arthur Kaluma, I'll disagree with you, but it might be. Well, you've just described Arthur Kaluma. Give you some physicality defensively as well. Um, that's Arthur Kaluma. He was wildly undervalued by Big East fans, and I was beating the drum that he was doing so much more for his team, and nobody wanted to listen. But that's the story of my life. Um, but that wraps up 11 teams. The story of your life is no one listens to you. We all have to listen to you. You have a podcast. Yeah, and you love to talk through my parts. I, I'd let you do your thing. Let you do your thing. Um, we got another great week of college basketball coming up. We've got like another month and a half of just as good of college basketball as you could ever ask for. And we got the NFL playoffs. I mean, it's like time to hunker down and watch some freaking television, huh? 
Right. Favorite game of the week. Is it St. John Seton Hall coming up on Tuesday? UConn Creighton on Wednesday? Or is it going to be Marquette St. John's on Saturday or Creighton Seton Hall on Saturday? You have four games to choose from that. Oh, those first two are so good. They're both really good. I'm going to go UConn Creighton. But you could take either or right now. Give me all the St. John's. If St. John's goes one and one this week, I believe. They can't go on two, and if they go two and zero. They're very firmly ranked. Um, I will be in the building at Wells Fargo Center on Saturday to go see UConn play Villanova. You will not be there because you um, hate our dad. I believe is what you told us on the record. Um, dad, I know you're not listening to this, Dad, because you went out to get milk a few years ago. Uh, well, anyhow, thank you all for listening to Weekend or Big East Barroom Podcast. As always, like, subscribe. Tweet at us. Call us names. We think it's funny. Um, we got a couple more months of college basketball, and we love spending with you guys. If you are interested in writing a 96-page manifesto, I will print it off, and I will sign it, and then I will send it back to you because, man, was that the highlight of my week. And as always, thanks for pulling up a stool.